Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Daryl Blackburn, who will be sitting in for Matt Watson for the next couple episodes. Hi, Daryl. Hey, Matt. Glad to have you. It's good to be here. So uh, is this the time where you announce yourself as a... Uh, yeah, I, I think this is the first time, a long time first time, so long time listener, first time podcaster. Or yeah, we don't have callers, so I guess that's the next best thing, but... I guess I should probably go ahead and get right into why you're here and why you're sitting in for Matt. Um, so for those of you listening, you may or may not know, I'm the author of a book called Million Dollar Bedroom. It came out in uh, June of 2017. And, you know, I refer to the book as an educational narrative. But what it is, is it's uh, it's the story of my entrepreneurial journey up to a specific point And well, it's kind of relevant to Daryl because, well, Daryl, you were there. I was there. I got to witness the whole thing firsthand. And I, I you're welcome, and I am sorry <laughs> <laughs> for so many different reasons. But we can, uh, we can go ahead. You know, we've waited all this time, but we're going to out you out of your real identity. Daryl was known in the book as the intern. I was. It's always been my secret alias, the amongst in, many others. The intern. Yeah, we are, and we'll get into that later because actually you did have another nickname that um, I still throw out there. But yeah, in the book, um, you know, so what's the what's in the so-called million-dollar bedroom? And really, what the what the book is is it's my story about how I more or less accidentally started a business. I had no money. I had no experience. I really had no clue, and I took a credit card on an $8,000 limit and managed to create multiple businesses that ended up generating millions of dollars in revenue and huge amounts of profit. And I don't really, I think it's impolite to disclose that particular part of things, but you know, we did all right. And, you know, really in the book, my goal is to provide a realist's point of view. Like I think a lot of books are like, Hey, look how great we did and whatever. But I actually uh, spend a lot of time talking about all the stuff that we did that was really dumb, stupid, or we needed to learn from. Would you say there was a few of those things? I just like to call them learning experiences. Yes. Yes. So, um, you know, I, I even say here, I'm actually looking at talking about failures. Um, but, you know, with that, uh, I think those, th those lessons are more important part of the story for the, you know, the reader's. Now, part of the reason that we're doing this, and this is going to be a four-part series, is uh, as an author, it, the most popular, you know, the most, most popular question people have asked me about the book is, "What's that? Is it available on Audible?" <laughs> oh man! So with my busy life and all the stuff that we do now, the idea of reading this book out loud and doing it and not messing it up. Um, it's only my, it's a little overwhelming. Yeah. And you know, you can hire voice actors to do stuff like that. And I did. Okay, yeah. But I just don't, why would I, I can't let someone else read my story. I think I would absolutely want someone to read my story for me. Yeah. I don't blame you. I mean, I've thought <laughs> about it, but I just feel like it'd be kind of weird. So, you know, all right. So we're going to talk a lot. Of, we're going to take you through the different 
stories, timelines, and experiences that we had. And like I said, Daryl was um, privy to all this because he was employed with us and worked with us for a long time. And quite honestly, Daryl, I want to say thanks because I don't think we find anywhere near the level of success that we would have found without your help. So thank you. Well, I think it goes both ways. I think the the educational experience I had through this whole process has helped me grow personally, professionally, well beyond my years. So I think it's right back at you. And probably pick up a lot of really weird business habits that <laughs> you learn a lot of things not to do as well. So, you know, before we get started, I want to, you know, I like to do a little truth telling. And there was something that I put in the beginning of the book that I felt was pretty important to get into. And, and first off, if you're expecting a get rich now kind of thing, forget about it. It doesn't work like that. It would, I'd be full of it if I told you that within six months, you're going to be a millionaire and that through using my surefire system, you're guaranteed to have, see that happen. It ain't happening, people. It's all about you know success demands payment in advance. And you got to do a lot of work. And sure, there's some stories about some people that saw things take off and six months later, they're millionaires and they are rare. I mean, very rare. So um, the second thing is, is you don't really need money to start making money. You need time and you need effort. Money and resources without a doubt are helpful. And that is what you're trying to accumulate and gain. But there are a lot of things that you can do um, that are very grassroots and I think that those things are, you know, some of the things we'll discuss in the book and they always change over time. So then the third thing is, is you need to be ready to try 10 things and hoping that one will work. Um, some people disagree with my outlook on this and they say, you need to be focused on one thing. Well, that hasn't been the way for me. You saw how many different things did we try that failed? Uh, th- it was probably my biggest nightmare half the time trying to keep up with the 10 things oh. that we were doing because your 10 things were more like a hundred things they felt that like were running me. concurrently as 10 things. Well, you know, Watts, Matt Watson and I refer to that, uh, as entrepreneurial ADD. So, well, anyway, if any of those warnings scared you off, well, you're welcome. Cause you weren't going to make it. You weren't going to, you weren't going to make it as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. Uh, but if you're still with me, you know, we can get into, uh, you know, building this million dollar bedroom and hopefully you get to do the same yourself. So I think the very first thing we could start out with is, you know, who am I? I mean, I'm 43 years old. I live in Leawood, Kansas. I got a wife. I got two kids. I've been to five colleges and now I'm a junior. Yeah. Do the math on that one, people. Um, you know, at one point I did uh, have a very successful professional career. I worked in the music industry for almost a decade. Worked for, at the end of it, I worked for a company called Roland, uh, the world's largest manufacturer of electronic musical instruments. And I traveled around 13 states calling on music stores and dealing with accounts and traveling. I think I traveled 180 days. And uh, yeah, and Daryl's shaking his head because it's a lot, man. It's a lifestyle. It's a grind. It is. And, you know, along the way, people say, oh, it's really cool. You get to travel for business. I'm like, it's still work, people. It's still work. And after a couple of years of doing that, a failed marriage and some other crap, I just wanted something different. So I quit. I decided I was going to go back to school. We went to the same school, didn't we, Daryl? We did. IUPUI, ooey pooey. but. 
at, at IUPUI, you can attend the Kelly School of Business, which I believe you're a graduate. I am. And what's awesome about Kelly? So Kelly does a really good job at putting a focus on making their educational plans around real life scenarios. So they pull a lot of their professors in from the corporate world. So they're not necessarily people that were geared to be professors. They were more people who succeeded in business and wanted to take a different path and then teach and pass along the successes and failures kind of exactly like you're doing. So you would be one of those people that were a perfect candidate to come in and mold their business school. So if you might need a college degree to be a professor at a top 10 business school. I think it helps. It might, but who knows? Um, To give you some context, uh, I had a business 101 class and my professor was once the COO of Steak and Shake. I had the same class. Yeah. But I mean, did he make you dress up? No. So I had it on a Saturday morning and we had to come in business professional attire. No, he didn't. Yeah. Um, but you know what? That was a great class. And it was a great teacher. It was the, probably the only class I ever got an A plus in. Um, I was certainly prepared. I was, you know, in my early thirties at that point, And I was the old, older guy in class. And here I am. I had to take the class, but you know, it really made me realize that there was a lot going on. So you know, I'd taken this huge leap of faith and I quit a job and I was going back to school because I wanted to finish college and I hadn't done that yet. And I thought Kelly School of Business was this great value. And, you know, top 10 business school. I mean, the uh, the schools that are, it's in there with are like Ivy League and just really well known. And it, it was a great value. Um, and I wanted to capitalize on that. So here I went. I went in there. I've been doing that for, you know, a year, a full year. And then and that started in, you know, 2008. So by the time 2009 rolled around and, or actually towards the end of 2008, um, and keep in, keep in mind, you know, we we're going through a lot of crap at that time. There was a, a housing crisis and a financial bubble and just a lot of stuff. The economy was in turmoil and there was a lot of changes, you know, a lot of people going through different um, jobs and stuff. So, you know, here I am, I'm doing it myself. And well, I had saved some money up to that point. Um, going through a divorce was expensive and that took about half my cash. Uh, I, and here I am after a year of going to school, paying for that, and then just paying for the things in life that I needed to pay for. I started re- saying, Oh shit, I'm running out of money. And I was re- looking for a lot of, I was looking for hustle, man. I was looking for something to do and I couldn't figure it out because I knew I had to help balance it with school and still like figure out how to do it. It's hard to like do 18 credit hours and have a job. It's tough. You it's did, a brutal schedule. You did some of that with us. But, I did. So anyway, um, you know, I, I still was, uh, I was, I was struggling. So you know, here we go. And this is actually where the story kind of begins. Um, I, I titled section one of the book, Hello, My Name Is, and I put a blank. People ask me why I did that. And I think it's because uh, I did that because this could be your story too. This could be anybody's story. You can insert your name here. It doesn't, it's not going to be the same story, but you know, you're not going to get your stuff started until you start. I'm just, everyone's sitting around and talking about all the stuff that they want to do. And they talk about waiting for the right time. Right time never comes, man. You always have an excuse as to why it's not the right time. And, you know, now 
the first part of this book starts by talking about my accidental business because that's exactly what this was. It's exactly what it was. Um, here we are. It's February 2009. I've always been a, a fan of fish and jam bands. And for those of you that aren't aware, fish had been on a hiatus for a while and they were making a comeback and they were going to come to Indianapolis, which the name of the venues changed about 10 times, but it's referred to as Deer Creek. You grew up around it. You're very familiar. So it was referred to as Deer Creek for your generation. Yes. I am younger. <laughs> it was referred to as Verizon Wireless Amphitheater, which yes. it has now since been renamed two, two more or three times. times. Yeah. 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 So, I can't keep track. So I was excited that Fish was coming to town and tickets were going to go on sale. So I'm, I'm hanging out with my buddy, Darren, who... Uh, later become, became my business partner. Uh, we'll get into that, but, um, yeah, we, we stayed up all night. We, we had gone out the night before and we'd uh, done a little drinking and I, here's the thing is that night turned into a later night, which then turned into, Oh shit, I'm afraid to go to sleep because I might not wake up in time to buy tickets to see fish, which were on sale the next day. Well, you know, now we just have Ticketmaster, but at the time there was Ticketmaster and LiveNation.com and LiveNation was trying to compete with Ticketmaster. They had their brand new ticketing system that had just come out and tickets go on sale and it's a total shit show. It was, they, they failed and failed and failed. It was miserable. Um, I couldn't buy tickets and I was like, man. Okay. I don't believe you that that's ever happened to their website. The, <laughs> it was so bad. It was like literally the first time that they'd ever done a major on sale and they just couldn't handle the, it couldn't handle the pressure. So we, I sat there with, with my friend and I was trying to buy tickets for like an hour and a half. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm over this. Finally went to sleep. And uh, so then the next day there was tickets on sale at a different show. And I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just buy them and I'll trade them with someone. I don't know. I didn't really know what I was doing. So um, the next day tickets went on sale and, um, I managed to buy like 18 of them and I don't even know why I just kept buying them. I, and, and it, it's really funny cause I hadn't done that. My, my story would be completely different. So now all of a sudden I've got like 18 tickets and I'm like, Oh shit, what do I do with these now? So, so I put them on eBay and I sold them and I made like 400 bucks and that's when the light bulb popped. I was like, Oh Wow huh? That was easy. Yeah. I was like, that was really easy. Maybe, you know, is that all I have to do? I can just like buy some tickets and like sell them on eBay. So, you know, I, I, I kept doing that and uh, I had some winners and I had some losers and, you know, I made a few hundred bucks along the way and I kind of kept going on, along with school. Now, um, at the time I played in a weekly poker game. And, uh, here I am. I'm also, it's really funny cause I'd moved to Indianapolis. I didn't know anybody. Um, I'm from Kansas and Kansas city. And, uh, I just happened to have a guy that lived across the street from me, uh, named Josh and, uh, Josh, uh, and I got to be friends after he saw me hanging up a Kansas Jayhawks flag from my porch. And, uh, and he was like, Hey, are you from Kansas? And we started talking, Josh and I are the same age. He's from Kansas too. And, um, you know, Josh was very hospitable. He introduced me to a whole lot of people. And I, you know, here I am, I didn't really know anybody in Indianapolis. I'd already been there for almost a year and a half. So I appreciated it. And, you know, we had a weekly poker game and I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm the like early thirties guy who had gone back to college and done all these things. And, you know, I was different than some of these other people that I was meeting, but I, I started telling them, I was like, yeah, you know, I've been buying tickets and selling them online. They're like, okay, cool. 
Next week, I'm like, yeah, I made like 300 bucks this week. And I'm like, oh, cool. Next month, I'm like, hey, I made like two grand this month buying tickets online and selling them online. And start to pique some interest. Started, yeah, I started, yeah, I started getting a little, a little bit of attention with them. And then the next month came along, and I was like, okay, I made like four grand. And at this point, I had hired a friend of mine to come help me buy tickets because I was like, hey, more people buying tickets, we can probably sell more. And also, I started needed some help with shipping them. But you know, I had a problem at the time because. You know, things like StubHub, and we were using StubHub at this point. At that point, StubHub was really young. Um, It was called Liquid Tickets at one point, and then it got purchased by eBay, and they changed the name to StubHub or whatever. But um, the problem I had is I'd buy tickets, and then we'd wait for them to get shipped in the mail, and that'd take, you know, a week or two, and then we'd ship them, and then after we did that, we'd get paid. Well, the problem was I started this with no money. I, I was buying all these tickets on this credit card with $8,000 limit. And I started running out of the ability to buy tickets because I couldn't pay off the card because I hadn't got the money back and so on and so forth. So at the next poker game, I'm I'm uh, expressing my, my displeasure with that. And, you know... I wasn't really sure how I was going to fix it, but I ended up uh, talking to my, you know, my friend Darren and he was like later that night, cause we decided to go to the bar after, after playing poker. And, and that uh, was always, you know, it's always a good decision on a Tuesday night, but you know, he kind of offered me, uh, he didn't kind of offer me, he offered me, he said, Hey man, how about you take my Amex card and uh, you buy some tickets and give me 25% on whatever you get. And I was like, what's the limit? And he's like, I don't know, 15 grand. I was like, yeah, man. I just like doubled my <laughs> buying power. I was like, that's pretty cool. And now, now before we go any further, I actually want to stop for a second is one of the things in a million dollar bedroom is I've peppered the whole book with what I call million dollar lessons. And, uh, I did accidentally skip over one, but in these million dollar lessons, I really try to point out, certain things that might be really strong to understand or good things to know. And and the first million dollar uh, lesson in the book is uh, buying things that are in short supply doesn't always mean demand to the point of people paying a premium. However, buying things that are in short supply that people are passionate about equals a big premium. So passion equals premium. And I, having worked in the music industry for nine years, was able to really understand the difference between passion and premium. And we, we figured that out a lot. Like there's a big difference between popular and passionate too. So, um, and then also, you know, I mentioned that, you know, a couple months in, I had hired a friend of mine and, you know, with that, I knew pretty early that you can't try to do everything yourself. Um, you know, sometimes you need to find experts and focus your time and energy on making money and creating revenue. Now, in this particular case, I hadn't really hired an expert, but I knew I needed some help just doing all of it. So, you know, that was a good, you know, good thing to understand. And the third million dollar lesson here, and I think this is probably something that I I know, man, it's not probably something to say a lot. If you come to me and you have a business idea, the very first thing I'm going to say to you is what's your path to revenue? I mean, what happens if a business doesn't have revenue, Daryl? Nothing. It dies. So yeah, just listen, everyone's got a business idea, but as soon as you ask them, okay, now how do you monetize it? Or what's your path to revenue? How are you going to get the cash back from that idea? That's so many things go 
it's a graveyard. And Nobody's so, thought of that part out. Everyone thinks they have a great idea on the front end. Yeah. Well, and, and so the, the real thing is, is, and the path to revenue as I define is how long is it going to take you to earn $1? Now, the good part about this hustle at this point that we had started was the path to revenue was really short. We bought something and we were able to sell it. So we were great. We had revenue coming back right away. And that was really important because that's that cycle of uh, that, the, the life cycle of that cash, although at this point it was really long, was still something that we were able to get, you know, create revenue and do that pretty quickly. Now, for a lot of startup founders and people that want to start a business, like especially software stuff, the path to revenue can be excruciatingly long and it can be devastating. So if you don't understand your path to revenue when you're starting a business, you need to because it can get ugly in a hurry. All right. So. Here we are. All of a sudden, I've uh, I've got a friend helping me, and and now all of a sudden, I've just doubled my buying power. Got man. a fresh new Amex. A fresh new Amex. I was like, wow, I went from eight thousand dollar limit to like now I've got twenty three thousand dollars, and I've got another address to ship tickets to, and and I can like buy more on the limit. And I was like, yeah, that's really awesome. So and here we are. And well, anyway. I went through about a month of doing that. And, you know, now all of a sudden we're like, wow, we made more money. This is something maybe it's repeatable. So, you know, at the time being in, being in Kelly school of business and you're always talking about business and structure and all this different stuff. Like I realized I probably need to form at this point, I'm realizing, Hey, I can maybe make a business out of this, you know? And, I, and, and the thing is, is that at that time I never formed a business. I'd never done anything. I've never, uh, legally owned a business that wasn't a sole proprietorship. And I knew that I needed to do something. They were beating us up at school with that. So I said, you know what, let's incorporate. Now, Daryl, there's a couple of different ways you can set up a business, right? There are, there's quite a few. So, and, you know, I outlined that in the book and, you know, anytime you're doing business in at all, you are by default a sole proprietor or maybe even just yep. like a general partnership kind of thing. And that's absolutely the worst and and why? Why is that? Everything's on you. The business dies with you. It lives with you. It, it, there's no, the, the growth potential with that is very, very difficult. And also you, you expose yourself to quite a bit of liability. Yeah. And the, uh, the sole proprietor. So if you're a sole proprietor, um, now all of a sudden your business fails or you get sued or something goes wrong, creditors, um, anybody you have liability to, maybe someone even that's suing you, they have a direct path to everything. Your personal life completely bleeds together with yeah. your professional there, life. There's no point. separation. One in the same. So, so, the, so because of that being a possibility, that's where things like LLCs, corporations, and, and a lot of different stuff comes in. So um, they have been teaching us a lot about the S-Corp which was a really is an actually a tax election that you can take and you can put that with an LLC or a corporation. But I was like, you know, we need to start a corporation. And so we started looking out and looking into how we can do that. And, you know, that kind of comes to the next part of the book, which I, uh, um, I, the section titled the, this is the price of undervaluing your equity. And Matt, Matt Watson and I have talked on the show quite a bit 
about this. And I feel like I, and I was like this too, but so many early stage business people that don't know any better, they're like Oprah on a giveaway day. They're like you get 10%, you get 10%, you get 5% and you get three. And there's no basis for doing it. It's not, I think it's just a stab in the dark, like just growing up with no general context to it. 10% sounds like a small amount. Yeah. Until well, you, some people give away fifty percent. Yeah, until you break nothing. it down in business terms, and then you realize what you've sold at that point, and it is very costly. So now, Daryl, at this point, I didn't even I didn't even think this was going to be a business that survived past me get graduating from school, which at that point was a year and a half away. And I, I and just, it's still a year and a half away. No, no, I well, we'll get into that later. We don't want to give away all the surprises, but. Um, but so with that, I sold 25% of this newly formed company, Broad Ripple Tickets Incorporated. Um, and Broad Ripple was the area I lived in. Um, you know, and, and I, I'd undersold, I, I didn't even realize it at the time, but, you know, here I am, I own 75% and I own 25%. And, you know, that was, that was problematic later and we'll get into why. But so anyway, where I was just excited, we had some money coming in and actually I got them to put in some cash too. So the buying power had gone up again. Um, you know, so here we are, we're growing. And, uh, um, at this point I'd actually had a little bit of an issue and the original person that was working in the million dollar bedroom, we had a bit of a falling out and he was gone. So all of a sudden I was back down to myself and, you know, I, I, uh, I, there was a, a nice young lady that had been cleaning my house for me and she worked really hard and she's really smart. And she was just kind of doing a side hustle and she had seen what I, you know, she'd come over and clean the house and see what we were doing and, and, you know, showed some interest. And finally I was like, you know what? I think she would probably be good to help fill in where my first buddy had left. And so I hired her. She was our office manager. And so, you know, there we are. And now all of a sudden the, you know, the, the, the bedroom was back to having another desk in it. Things started picking up selling more and more. And I'm sitting at the poker game one night and we're talking about Seinfeld. And one of my friends was like, have you seen the episode that's about Kramerica? And for those of you that haven't listened, you know, Kramer on Seinfeld decided he was going to get an intern and he was working at Kramerica. And I can't even remember what Kramerica did, but you know, they were yeah, super busy. Either. They were super yeah. busy. And uh, my friends had started referring to my business as Kramerica because <laughs> they were like, eh, what do you really do or whatever? And I was like, come on, man, this is legit. And they're like, you should get an intern. And I was like, you know what? I probably should. So I, the next day I was at school, I went down to, uh, I went down to the job placement or whatever they call it down there. And the career center, right. whatever, wherever the counselors were to help with your career and your placement. That's one of the things they really focus on. And this was crazy. So they are in 2000, whatever we said, 2009 still at this point. And uh, this was summer, like summer-ish. Like and, fall. Yeah, so well, we coming in into school. fall. Coming into fall and school had just started for the fall. And, uh, and so here I am, I'm like, yeah, I own a, I've got own a corporation here. We do e-commerce. And the lady was really excited. She was like, really? She's like, we don't have any Indiana based e-commerce companies in our intern program. And I, and I was at that point, I was honestly like, 
this thing probably sucks. What do you mean? Like, so, uh, you know, anyway, I, I got the paperwork and I filled it out. And two days later we had, a, we had positions online. <laughs> I got 75 applicants, including yours in three days, in three days. And I turned the ad off because I was like, man, if I can't find someone out of 75 Overwhelming. People. Yeah. So I'd learned a lot about hiring in my, my prior professional life. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I did, I, I narrowed it down, um, and, you know, figured out some different stuff and, you know, you know, at, at this point I narrowed it down to maybe like 10 people. I did some phone interviews. I think I got down to like five and, uh, set up some interviews. One person didn't show up. Three of them were kind of lame. And then came knocking at my door, young Daryl Blackburn. Enter the story, Daryl. So what's, uh, take it back just a few minutes. What's funny about that, her referencing that there were no e-commerce business set up in their internship program. So at that point I was in my junior year. So we're towards the tail end in the more advanced business courses, which have an absurdly large focus on e-commerce because at that point in time, the internet's booming. It's still kind of the wild, wild west of e-commerce. Everything's really trending in that direction. So all of our courses are sitting here putting this heavy focus on e-commerce. And then when you pull up their page to go to look at the open interns, the internships that were available at the time, there's one and it happens to be yours. So I'm like, I'm going through all that. I'm like, oh, e-commerce is the future. I've got to take a dip there because I wasn't sure exactly which way I wanted to go at that point. I was I, I was in a double program where I was looking at business management and finance. And those were just two practical resources that I figured I could use later in life. So I didn't know exactly what interested me. And then they kept putting this heavy focus on e-commerce. So I read the job description. I'm like, well, e-commerce is what I should be doing. And then the job description looked abnormally fun. Like I shouldn't be able to have this much fun. This sounds really exciting, really fast paced, really kind of a gambling type nature to it, which just really fit my personality. So I was all in. (laughs) So, but so then we talked on the phone briefly and I just, you do phone interviews to just make sure the person you're going to invite in isn't an idiot. Cause if they are, if they're an idiot on the phone or their resume, like it's amazing in my life, how many bad resumes I've seen. Like if you can't present yourself professionally on paper or over the phone, forget about it. Like just move on. Those aren't the people that you want, but you know, what were you thinking when we, here's your internship, but it's at some dude's house. It was not. So, so the way the job description was written, I thought I was going to, uh, so there's the, in Indianapolis, there's one of our biggest buildings, the One America building. So I thought we had like two floors on the One America building. This was this huge operation. And <laughs> I walked into a bedroom where we did our first interview. Yeah. Well, um, you know, <laughs> hey, man, you got to sell it. You're the one that I never indicated that we had a couple floors. On, no, that, on I mean, a, it was completely on me. Right. It was just it was a very professional job description. And everything that was written out was written out intently to sound very professional. Why well, I had to attract a good, nice clientele. I mean, and, and clearly it worked. So, you know, and we won't get into too many of the details, but, you know, there was one thing about Daryl that made me immediately realize that I had the right person. And I asked some pretty specific questions. But one of the questions I always ask is when you're at work, what would you prefer to be doing? Now, most people say, 
oh, I like admin tasks or I want to be a programmer or I like to talk on the phone. What did you say? Whatever it takes to make the most money. And I said, boom. I was like, oh my God. That's And by the way, that's still the greatest answer to it, any of that. It's honestly still how I feel to this day. No, I don't blame you. And I think it's a great answer. And it really like, kind of, it was funny because it kind of changed the way I thought about it. So, you know, some of the details were a bit, a bit fuzzy past that, but I remember like, you know, it was, we paid just some money. No, yeah, I was paid well. I mean, well, not as well in the beginning. And, you know, that kind of brings us to the, to another uh, million dollar lesson here. And that's, you always need to assume that everything will take twice as long and cost three times as much as you think it will. And not doing so puts you in a horribly risky position. So we hadn't really wrapped our arms around that yet. Um, there's another million dollar lesson I want to throw in here. And, you know, part of the reason we're hiring Daryl is, you know, selling more means you will probably need to spend more. So understand that your budget should be scalable, which means that you can scale it up or down based on increases or decreases in your revenue and make sure your budget includes the means to carry or finance your receivables because you always won't get paid now. So that was one of the things in my thought process, because at the time, more hands and more people to help buy tickets meant more decent stuff. Now, when you're buying tickets, you have to have good ones. Oh man, we learned a lot about that over the years, didn't we? This is crash course, yeah. I mean, and I, I had gotten a, a couple pretty hard punches in the face at that point. I remember a Jimmy Buffett concert in Raleigh, and that was like the first time I like lost a thousand bucks on something. I was like, oh my God. And I was actually freaked out because I thought I wasn't even going to sell the tickets at all. So that, you know, I learned some 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 uh, pretty important lessons. Um you know, and then speaking of lessons, I got one more before we get back to the story. And, you know, this was related to my buddy that I had once hired. And at this point, you know, I was trying to hire people like the reason Daryl had come in is because you shouldn't hire friends or family if you value the relationship. Um, the friend that I had uh, had a bit of a falling out with, he never talked to me again. He fucking hated me, man. I never really understood why he was so pissed off. I just early in the business. I just couldn't afford to pay him enough and justify that. So remember it's business. It's not Thanksgiving dinner. As a business owner, you're forced to make tough decisions and it's possible that your friends or family might not be great employees. And that means, well, you know, you've got to make a decision. Shocking. So, um, you know, and, and, and with that, if you get to the point where you hire help, you need to find people that are great at the stuff you aren't great at. And I mean, this is going to make your life easier. And you also have to find people that are good at the stuff, uh, doing the stuff that you don't like doing. Uh, and, and why? Because it probably won't get done. Well, or done well. I think just our, our human nature is to really excel at the things that pique our interest. So if you know you have a weakness or that doesn't pique your interest, you have to be self-aware enough to know that you're not going to do a very good job with it. I agree. I agree. So, um, you know, and, and yet one more million dollar lesson from the book, and this is, will bring us into the, uh, next part is, uh, you know, if you have no money, but you do have a computer, you can start a business as an affiliate marketer. So, um, and this is actually, I believe this is where the, the story really starts for later, but so here you are, we got an extra, we, we have an intern, 
uh, we have some help and we were starting to hustle and, you know, I was like, you know, I see all these people that are building these websites that sell tickets. And, uh, so we wanted to do it too. And, you know, we had uh, recently started using a point of sale system from a company called ticket network and they had some plug-in technology you could use to build your own ticket site. So we did, um, God, it was so bad. <laughs> like the very first the ones, like generous way to put it. Yeah. Like now it, it was, it was, it was functionally bad, but so here we are, we we're starting to try and figure out how we're going to make more money and how we're going to do some stuff. We knew nothing about online marketing. That brings us to the Twitter bot, <laughs> the, the infamous <laughs> the Twitter, Twitter bot that we talked with Daryl and I have had an ongoing joke since 2009. The very first thing you need to get when you start a business is a Twitter bot. And that's not true. Do not go by when they are fucking useless. I feel like I just found out Santa Claus wasn't real. Yeah, no, I thought this no. was a real rule that you yeah. had to have a Twitter bot to be successful. No, it's not. Daryl, I've been joking about that. I wasn't that. in on the joke. So here we are. We have this ticket site. Now, when you are when you sell tickets, you can't own everything that people want. So the purpose of these affiliate sites and these plug-in sites was they networked a whole bunch of resellers into one place. So we figured out that if, you know, if we could get people to come to the site or dial the phone number, we might be able to help them. So, you know, here we are with this, like doing things like with the Twitter bot where it would like make friends and like do different stuff. And we, we actually tried to run that thing a bunch and try to gather some heat and get some attention. And it didn't work, um, nor did about 27 other things that we did. But we finally, I think it was just like Craigslist local. Craigslist was a big one. That, yeah. was, that was the first breakthrough that we had that was like that first level of real success. Well, we well, started to see some return it, on it. But it wasn't success or a return because we learned a painful lesson. First, yes. we actually managed to get the phone to ring after placing an ad on Craigslist for like a local event or something. I can't remember what it was. At this point, we were still taking phone calls in. So we realized that the name Broad Ripple was identifiable in Indianapolis even though the domain name was un, an ungodly number of characters, oh, broadribbletickets.com, which is, by the way, still a website that hasn't been updated in about three years. And it does make a sale or two every month still. But so anyway, so we get the phone to ring. And, you know, before we go to this next part is another million dollar lesson. And it's that you need to know your numbers. You need to know your margins. And it's a lot more than just your cost of goods. So the cost of labor and your own personal time have value, as do other resources or expenses that incur along the way, which we were about to learn. So, you know, with this uh, uh, plug-in software, you could mark up other people's inventory. So I think we marked it up like 15%. We had someone that bought, it was Blink-182 tickets, like $100 worth. And uh, we were like, cool, we made a sale. So... It took us a couple hours just to even figure out how to make a purchase order. <laughs> you remember that messing I, around yeah, with it? Like, is this right? Is this the most antiquated system possible? Well, it just wasn't. I mean, it was 2009. And yeah. It just like the world seemed so technologically advanced. You look back at it and you're like, holy shit, it was like the iPhone 2. Um, but we're trying to figure out how to make a, a purchase order. We ended up finally purchasing the tickets from the holding ticket broker. What, so we, first off, I got a couple hours of labor and that, and here we are with this payment. And uh, we 
hadn't collected money to ship the tickets, which was the big problem. So these $100 tickets, we had marked up to like 115 bucks. So we had $100 in trying to buy them. You know, buying the co- that was our cost of goods at this point. And then we had to buy a shipping label, which we got a slap in the face, realizing it was like twelve bucks. And there was some other just crap. And I was like, and I did the math, and I was like, dude, two hours of labor, even if we did that in thirty minutes. Because here's the thing, you know, I had to pay you guys to talk on the phone right. or myself or place an ad or whatever. And I quickly realized that we, why we had made a sale, we actually lost money doing it. And I was like, what? what? That's terrible. So, um, you know, and honestly, looking back at the, at the time frame, you actually started a, a little bit after that. I think that very first sale that I referenced in the book, cause it, it was, it was uh, Heather and I that were trying to do that first PO. But by the time you started, we were maybe only on like our third one. It was, yeah. really, it, you came right in, in the middle of that. So, um, you know, that, that was important as well, but, you know, we learned pretty quickly. You have to understand all your costs, not just what, a good, what goods cost on your way to making a sale. And there's some other things too. Like another thing that was in there is, you know, we had to charge a credit card or a PayPal at that point, And that was 3%. So that turned our 15% markup into 12 right there. And it got pretty ugly. So, um, you know, on the way to that, that's actually where we started, uh, that's where we started figuring out how search engines work. That was a, a light bulb moment. It, well, it, it was a little bit in the regard that, you know, I kept, I, I remember at that point I kept, uh, I kept, everyone's like, oh, you need to do blogging, 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 blogging. So, and by the way, right around this time is where my wife, my, my current wife enters the story. Um, and, you know, we'll get into some of that, but, um, in a, in a minute here, but we started figuring out how search engines work. And, you know, there's some just like really basic, uh, practices to search engines. Like every page has what's called a page title, which is a simple description of what's on the page. And then there's a, 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 a page description, which is a longer version of that. And there's some other stuff. So we started kind of toying around with that. And we started realizing that when we would publish blogs, that we had the ability to start getting found on less competitive keyword terms, you know, like uh, whatever Indianapolis tickets, but it took a while to create a blog. And, and at that point, Jill, my wife had entered the story, right? Like, was she already there when you started or was that? So I started in November of 09 and I think she was in, End of Q1. It was right in that period because it was September of 09 when we went on our first date. Because I remember I felt like a big shot ticket broker because I we went front row to Kings of Leon. I was like, I oh. remember that. Yeah, yeah so, I remember that story. Now, I, you know what? She actually didn't start until later because she didn't graduate from school yeah. yet. So, um, all right. So I get confused on even my own time frames here. But anyway, so we start kind of figuring out some blogging. And stuff like that. And we're starting to do some stuff. And we figured out with SEO that maybe we can now get our website found. Um, so one of the things that made us able to compete early was taking advantage of the long tail. Daryl, are you familiar? You're familiar with these terms? The long tail. It's been 
branded into my brain. So in order to envision the long tail, you have to picture a graph and here over on the left side, um, you know, whatever it's measuring is really tall. And then all of a sudden it slopes down and it gets to the point where it's at the lowest possible entry and that tail just goes on forever. I like to picture a brontosaurus. Sure. I think that's actually a really good, and yeah, sure. So a brontosaurus is standing in front of a graph, but no, you can picture that. But, um, the example that I always use is related to iTunes. And so here you have on the left side of that, that, uh, graphs, you know, Jay-Z, Taylor Swift, Luke Bryan, whoever is hot then. And then it really quickly drops off. And, you know, so with that, you know, you get down to all these things that have been downloaded one time. Now, most people don't realize this, but all those ones, when you add them up each day are big, come out to a bigger number than the entries of two and higher. And that's because there's just so many of them. So with search engines, you can take advantage of this long tail. Like everyone intuitively wants to compete for the most competitive terms. And they're competitive for a reason. And it's freaking hard to get to number one. So why not scoop up all this low-hanging fruit? So we started doing that. We started doing some things related to that, maybe publishing a little content, doing a few things here and there. And so on and so forth. And we started finding a little success with that. Now, for those of you that want to start a business or have already started it, it's at certain points, it's kind of easy to um, say you hear the term SEO, it's search engine optimization. There's a lot of companies that promise the world there. And, you know, it brings us to a million dollar lesson here. And, you know, Google's smarter than you are. And anyone you can hire to make your website rank high. So most SEO companies aren't going to do anything for you that you can't do for yourself. So early at that point, our SEO was also like, remember all the things we were registering for? Oh, yeah. Like 10 million directories. And and uh, we made a critical error in that point because we had a local phone number. And we remember all the things that we registered for and we didn't write down the usernames or passwords <laughs> and we had our phone number out there. Yep. So, you know, anyway, um, keep track of everything you register for and the things you want to set up for. And, you know, these basic SEO practices just really involve doing things that are smart. Like you're filling out a Google Maps listing, fill out all the parts. It wants you to add five pictures, add five pictures. Because those are uh, Google and search engines don't like to give incomplete results. Um, this is a moving target. You know, I, I don't even know. Only Google knows. But I've, you know, been told that there are literally 500 or more different algorithm things that Google looks for. And it always changes what happens. People start gaming them. And we'll talk about that in the next episode, actually. But, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that can occur. But so anyway, we were, we were messing around with the long tail. And, you know, the phone's starting to ring a little more at that point. It was. Yeah. It was picking up. We figured out how to actually make a margin. The problem was, is we were, we were working on the shittiest margin. Like all the website sales we would make, the margin was really low. Yeah. And it, it the phone calls were brutal too. Yeah. Trying to explain how the ticket, pl- the marketplace worked that we didn't own the tickets, but we were in contact with the sellers of the tickets was just a constant battle on a daily basis. Not to mention the, the people would wear you out. Oh yeah. 
Like I remember, you know, you'd sit there and you're talking to someone and they're like, how much closer is row B than C? And I'd be like, if I was in a bad mood, I don't know, 10 feet, <laughs> six feet. I don't know. I have haven't ever been, been to, to an event before. You I know haven't, I haven't right been out. to Madison square garden. I don't know. You know, talking to someone or like, and you know, just some of the people. And another thing too, is like some of these folks would keep you on the phone for half an hour and then it would be a dollar cheaper on Subhub and they just go buy it there. And like the number of people we had to talk to to actually make a sale. You remember when we did the thing where we were only uh, doing Craigslist posts for shows that were that day in that market? Yep. And our margin came because we were like, well, I mean, it's last minute. We charge a $25 delivery. And they're like, what do you mean? You're only emailing me tickets. And I was like, yeah, well, we got to drop everything we're doing and get these to you and whatever. And th- that was actually decent. It was. Yeah. Except for we also set ourselves up for a, uh, a, a whole lot of fraud liability. And that was a lesson learned along the way. So, you know, we should get into that as anytime someone charges something on a credit card, whether you're the consumer or you're the, uh, you're the seller, you, you know, they can dispute the charges, which means that they're going to pull the money out of your account and you're going to have to state your case as to why, you know, you, uh, that it wasn't a stolen credit card. Well, here's the problem. We were making all of our sales over the phone and we weren't, you don't collect a signature. And at the time, that was like the number one thing that the chargeback people, the farm would ask, did you, did you collect a signature with this? And you say no. And you lost right there. It was done. You were over. Um, that was ugly. My, my favorite were the calls with the people where the, the website bought the tickets for them. They did not purchase the tickets. Oh, yeah. Like, yes. Your credit card information jumped in and yeah. pre-populated itself on the that. website. They'd be like, why do I have these charges on here? Like, yeah, well, the website bought it for me. And you're like. You, yeah. You, and okay. that, now you could, I could actually buy that excuse now because now with the auto browsers forms, didn't yeah. fill shit in yeah, there. was no auto fill at that time, but yeah, there was uh, you know, you also want to, I, okay. So when I look back at the, okay, the worst customer and the worst call, do you remember the guy that called like 10 times? He wanted tickets. He wanted to take his wife to see Tim McGraw. He kept asking me all these questions and whatever. And he ended up, uh, calling back at the day after the show and demanding a refund. And he was pissed off that he had to stand up some during the show. Yeah. Do you remember remember that that guy? Do you remember that guy? And I literally like, I gave, I didn't, I don't know if I gave him all this. I gave him some money back and he ended up calling back a couple months later as if I wanted his business. And I was like, (laughs) I actually, we had a competitor that we didn't really enjoy at that time. I was like, why don't you call them? You know, call them. I think they'd want your best. They will really enjoy talking to you on a daily basis and not having to stand for a concert. You know, I hated those. I hated those phone ends. But anyway, so, you know, back to SEO um, and that kind of stuff and all of that. And, you know, we're about to round out this, uh, you know, this first section of of this four-part series. But that was the the section I, I label here is a mad scientist is born. That was the first time I went full mad scientist. It was. Trying to figure out SEO. Not the last time. No, it was definitely not the last time. And it it became a running joke because I always referred to having to figure out the complex changes in our businesses as, hey, guys, I got to do science. But I locked myself in my office, basically. Yeah, we'd see you the next day. Yeah, yeah, completely I, disheveled, no sleep. Yeah, I refer but some sort of plan. I think in the book I refer to myself as looking like Tom Hanks and <laughs> Castaway. Like, I mean, and and you know, so here's the thing at the time too, like 
Oh, that was actually like when I, I, I got so caught up in mad science world. I like, I remember I, my hair grew out a little bit. I had a beard. Like I look, I had a mullet. Almost the at the one amazing point. thing is it had just been a few hours. That, is, is that, is that true? <laughs> yeah. Cause it felt like forever, but that's actually insane. <laughs> It hadn't been, but it, it, uh, no, it, it, it was sometimes it, actually that first round, I think it was, it was, a, it was a couple weeks because yeah. that's, you know, what, what came out of that was the idea for something we're going to talk about, um, you know, here in this next episode, which quite honestly, if I hadn't gone man scientist at that point and I hadn't wanted to build software after that, then I never would have done a whole lot of other things that have had a pretty dramatic impact, not only on our business and my life now. Yeah. You could, you could always kind of feel those periods building. So there was a slow build to it. It was always kind of towards a breaking point to where that, that mad scientist phase, it, it came out and it was a pivotal point into our growth forward or to the next phase of whatever we were going to do. Uh, so those, those are always kind of landmarks in my mind of our journey. Right. And I, I was meeting resistance at that point too, because I wanted to build some software stuff and really, you know, in the, when you're talking about SEO and some other things, you know, I had, I had ideas and some plans for, um, you know, for, doing some things that I had noticed. All right, look, you don't have to have an original idea to make a lot of money. You, you can do things better. Well, what do they teach you at Cali, Daryl? What do you need to do to run a successful business? And then we'll go ahead and uh, let everyone take a break before we move on to uh, the second section, which by the way, is my favorite section. Yeah. So this was a lesson I learned in 2009 and I apply it on a daily basis. And that's for any business to be successful, you need to get a competitive advantage over all of your competitors. How do you do that? You can do that in one of three ways. So you can do something better, cheaper or faster. Right. It's that simple. Right. So, you know, knowing what we wanted to do, I noticed that when you search things in Google, that the same people were coming up you know, top of the list. So that's what, that's what I was mad sciencing. I had to really figure out like, okay, what the frick are these people doing and how are they doing it? And how can I do it? And how can I do it the same way you describe better, cheaper, faster or anything like that? So anyway, stick around section two coming up, startup hustle, the million dollar bedroom series, We made it all through section one. If you're still with us, stick around for section two. Daryl, you want to come back and do another one? I do. It's just starting to get good. I know this. I really love the second section. It's like the part, probably the part of the book that, um, oh man, there's so much, there's so much winning, losing, heartbreak, tough decisions. I mean, this is really like, if you were watching a movie, like you have movies that like start, and they're, you know, like, oh my God, are they going to do it? And then this is like the winning, losing, heartbreak, like rebound. Like this pretty much has every part of a, uh, you know, of a, of a good story in it. So stick around. Daryl Blackburn, Matt DeCourcy going to be back here to tell you the next, uh, the next section of the million dollar bedroom story. See you soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.